We're beginning a brand new series. Who's excited? Brand new series. Valentine's Day just happened, and so in the season of romance and love, we're going to talk about relationships, and we're starting a series called um, Check Yes or No. Did anybody have a situation like that? Remember in elementary school, you'd get a note. Anybody have uh, notes? Do you guys do you guys still pass notes in school? Anybody pass notes? Um, no, you just send texts. In my, but when I went to school, we we passed notes. And uh, a very common one was, was, do you like me? Check yes or no. <laughs> Those are the only options, yes or no. Actually, no, usually maybe would be in there too. Check yes or no or maybe. Um, and then the goal was to answer the question and then pass it along. I don't know how you felt in elementary school, but it didn't matter if I had never met the person before. Um, if I found out a girl had a crush on me, I in, instantly, she became the love of my life. Like, I remember being like, I, I never even seen her before, but she likes me? Yes, I do like her too. Like, I don't even know your name, but for, like, you're like, yeah, this is, yeah. So that's kind of the idea of the series. We're going to be talking about the yeses and the nos of Christian relationships, the yeses and the nos of Christian relationships. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And our goal is to be really helpful and practical. So we're going to take some biblical principles about um, relationships in general, and then we're going to apply them specifically to dating, to romance, but then beyond that to just life and things like that. So 1 Corinthians 13 we're talking about the yeses and the noes of relationships, and specifically tonight, the yeses and noes of dating is what we're going to talk about. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says this. Are you there? 1 Corinthians 13, 4, you're there? Yeah. All right. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This text in 1 Corinthians 13 is not about relationships. That's not what this chapter is about. Um, it's really a definition of love, right? It says love is, or it begins to explain for us what love looks like. And love, this impacts, this definition of love impacts every aspect of our lives and our relationships. And so this verse, although it's not speaking specifically about relationships or dating or anything like that, it gives us a healthy framework about how we view any and all relationships, romantic or not. 
But we're going to use this text tonight to really define some terms and then sort of set the standard of how we should date specifically. Does that sound good? I want us to really focus on verse 11, and I think this is going to be sort of the framework that we kind of move into this topic with. It says this, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. That makes sense, right? When I, when I was a child, I behaved like a child. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. But then it says, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because there's nothing worse than a grown adult behaving like a child, right? If, you, if you're in the grocery store and there's a kid screaming, laying on the floor, kicking, throwing their shoes off, like pounding the ground, you're like, that's a kid. They do that kind of stuff. Mom probably said no to a piece of candy or marshmallows or whatever. But if you walked into the store and you saw a grown adult doing that, you'd be like, this is, this is a problem. This is not okay. Because when you become an adult, you put away childish things. And one of the dangers of dating, listen to me, one of the dangers of dating is being childish. We play games. We don't communicate well. We're emotional and erratic. We're selfish and controlling. That sounds like childish behavior, doesn't it? Playing games, not communicating well. <laughs> Being emotional and erratic and impulsive, selfish, mine, controlling, mine, right? This is how kids behave. This is, this is childlike behavior. And yet, so often, this is sort of the, the way that people navigate something like dating, like relationships. And so what we want to do, kind of as we move into this, is we want to be mature and biblical in everything we do, including relationships. Amen? We want to be mature and biblical in everything that we do. Now, this text begins with a biblical definition or landscape of love. And love is a big idea. For many, it's the paramount idea. It is the, the, the primary objective. It's the goal of everything that we do. Shane recently taught a message, and so I'm ripping off Shane's message, but he talked about how Elvis Presley has 66 songs with the word love in the title. Over 66 songs with just love in the title. That IMDB has over 86,000 productions with love in the title. TV shows, movies, short films, things like that. Over 86,000 productions with love in the title. Love is a huge sort of idea, concept, focus uh, on our, in our world. And with the focus on love, it's surprising that we're so off in our definition of love. Listen to how Google defines love. It's defined like this. An intense feeling of deep affection. That's love. An intense feeling of deep affection. The problem is you can have an intense feeling of deep affection towards a person on one day and on a cheeseburger the next day. Right? Like I have a deep feeling of affection towards my spouse. And then I have a deep feeling of affection towards... A cheeseburger. And you're like, wait a second. That seems not quite right. And this text gives us a better picture of what love should look like. 
Now, the Greeks had uh, four words for love. The Greeks had four words for love. Did you know this? That they didn't just say love. They actually made distinction because that concept was difficult for them. The fact that they could love their, their parents one way the, and then use the same word to describe a love for a spouse and love for a meal, it just didn't work out right. So they had four, at least four. One is the word philia, and it's a, it's a friendship or brotherly love. Like we, we know the word Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. That's the idea. It's, it's sort of a, a friendship love. Then they had the word storge, which would speak of a family love. This is sort of like your siblings or your parents. And, and this is kind of a deep sort of you're born with that kind of a love. Then there's the word eros, which would be like a romantic love. And then the word agape, which would be a selfless and a sacrificial love for others. And the biblical idea, especially modeled for us by Jesus, is the word agape. And that's what's being defined here in this text. Probably best summarized in the relationship context in verse 4. I'll read it again. It says, love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. And it is not provoked. Now, as we sort of let that be our background for love, we're going to sort of answer or ask a couple of questions that we're going to seek to answer tonight. The first question that I want to answer is, does the Bible uh, say anything about romantic relationships? Now, the answer is on the screen, but the answer is yes. <laughs> Does the Bible say anything about romantic relationships? Yes, the Bible has lots. Although the Bible isn't extensive about romantic relationships, it does talk about it. More than it talks about romantic relationships, though, it talks about Christian relationships that then impacts all types of relationships. Do you know the Bible doesn't tell married people to forgive one another? It doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say married people forgive one another. The Bible does say Christians forgive one another. And so that biblical Christian concept then impacts your married context. Does that make sense? So the Bible doesn't say, okay, all married people, you need to learn how to forgive one another. And like, you need to, whatever. The Bible says Christians, you ought to forgive one another. Christians, you got to bear with one another. Christians, you got to be slow to anger, things like that. And so that reality, that idea, then impacts our intimate relationships. Are you with me? And so the Bible is extensive about how Christians ought to behave and Christians, how they should treat one another. So the Bible does say a lot about romantic relationships. So second question, does the Bible say anything about dating specifically? No. It does not. So as we're sort of moving tonight talking about dating, where are we going to get this idea from? Now, dating, this idea, according to the New York Times, dating really began in the late 1800s, right around the turn of the century. Um, it stemmed from single men and women moving to cities, working, and meeting one another. That's where it began. The word date was coined in an article that described, and I'm quoting, a clerk named Artie whose girlfriend was losing interest in him and beginning to see other men socially. When Artie confronts his fading love, he says, I suppose other boys are filling all my dates. 
And that was sort of like historically the first time this concept of dates or filling dates was associated with relationship. That's kind of funny, huh? It's just like a random, like kind of like a, I pictured the early 1900s, like, ah, I'm filling all my dates, huh? Like this kind of like whatever. And then that was it. It coined the phrase. Now, early uh, dating was accused and confused as prostitution because people saw women who let men buy them food, drinks, and gifts, the same as turning tricks. And according to the, the book Labor of Love, this came because women were getting jobs, but employees assumed that they were not working for themselves, but to supplement earnings for a father or a husband. And so because of that, women would be paid less than half of what a man would be paid. And so the men would buy the girls food when they made dates, sort of how it began. And it basically evolved from there, it, from making dates to going steady to dating to DMing them on Instagram or however it works now. Um, now, the Bible doesn't speak on dating, but we see how people met and formed relationships in the Bible was constantly changing with the culture. So I'm trying to, are you guys still with me? I'm just kind of painting, a, I want to paint a little backdrop. We're like doing some Bob Ross. We're going to like paint some background and we're going to add some trees. It's all going to make sense. Right now we're just working on the landscape. The Bible is filled with relationships that were formed based upon cultural ways that relationships were formed. So you have arranged marriages like Isaac and Rebecca. We have working and wooing like Jacob for Rachel. We have strange cultural customs like when Ruth goes and lays at the feet of Boaz in the middle of the night. And then in the New Testament, we see some more familiar ways of being together, like Aquila and Priscilla, who were, told, were both tent makers. So perhaps they met one another sort of working together. And I want to say all that because although the Bible doesn't talk about dating specifically, it does give us very helpful principles when it comes to relationships. And so the Bible, it isn't anti-dating, but it also isn't more like pro-courting or arranged marriage than dating. Does that make sense? Like the Bible's not like anti-dating because it doesn't have anything to say about dating. And it's not more pro something else. The Bible has biblical principles on relationships that help in the context that we find ourselves in. Okay? All right, now let's get practical. Sound good? How should dating begin? This is the question we're going to answer. How should dating begin? Here's my big thought-provoking point. A follower of Jesus should ask another follower of Jesus out on a date. This is how dating should begin. A follower of Jesus should ask another follower of Jesus out on a date. Now, if your parents have rules about dating, that goes above my point. <laughs> so if your parents' rules are you can't date till you drive, or you can't date till you move out, or you can't date until you, whatever, then that, that's above my point of follower of Jesus, ask another follower of Jesus out on a date. The, my point is not for you to go like in the lobby after service and ask somebody out, even though your parents say like you, you can't date till you're 30 or whatever it is they say. The second thing I would say before we kind of dissect that phrase 
is if you can't drive, you probably shouldn't ask people out. But, sort of like, you're like, ah, oh, man, but I think you can find things to do in your context. What I mean by that is you can hang out in groups, right? You can go to church. You can invite them to family events and things like that. Um, so I think there's, there's like, this, the traditional, like, hey, will you go out with me to, like, where's a nice... Where's a nice restaurant? Huh? Dario's. Jeremiah's ice cream. Chick-fil-A. Like, so I think, I think, <laughs> I think rather than asking somebody out, like the, like the light, the candle in the middle of the room and like, okay, let's have this date. Context, right? Context matters. Um, so I think that's a good like before we get into it. Now, let's go back to my idea. A follower of Jesus should ask another follower of Jesus out on a date. Now, not to definitively define gender roles, but I believe, and I would argue the Bible teaches, that men, listen to me, men, if you're a man in here, listen to me, the men should see women as valuable and their affection as something to be pursued and won. Okay, I'm gonna say that again really slow for the guys because I know who I'm talking to. Men, you should see women as valuable and their affection, their, we could describe that as attention or responses over text messages or them saying yes to a date to you. Their affection as something to be pursued and won, okay? Now women, I'm going to talk to you guys for a second. Women, you should see yourselves as valuable and your affection should be something won and given. Okay? So men, you should see women as valuable. And your, their affection should be something to be pursued and won. And women, you should see yourselves as valuable. And your affection should be something won and given. Uh, Song of Solomon says this, the beloved, this is sort of the, the man character in the story. He's speaking about the love of his life. He says, behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes, which I'm sure was like a great line in their context. He says, he says behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. So he's speaking about uh, how, how unique and how much he loves this, this girl. And then listen to her response. She says, the Shulamite, that's her sort of character name. It says, I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valleys. Okay, this is, it's just interesting what's happening. He says, you are fair, my love. You are fair. And her response is, thank you so much. So are you. That's not her response. Her response is, essentially, I'm the prize. <laughs> He says, he says, you're the prize. And she says, yep, I'm the prize. That's sort of the, the way it's working. He sees her as valuable and her affection is something to be pursued and won. And she sees herself as valuable as her affection, something to be won and given. So to put it specifically, all right, so I'm kind of like throwing out some ideas. To put it specifically, guys, you should ask a girl out on a date. But that means that there's a winning that has to happen. Why should she date you and not someone else? Okay, secondly, girls, 
Say yes if a guy's asked ask you out on a date. But that means you've seen him as a person of integrity and intention, and your affection in some sense has been won. Okay, my words are intentional, though. My statement was followers of Jesus should ask other followers of Jesus out, out on a date. Asking a follower of Jesus out suggests that you know them and you know where they're at with the Lord. It is far too common for relationships to be based upon looks, similar interests, or simply proximity, which are all fine, but a better foundation is on relationship with Jesus. Do you know that they're a Christian? What evidence have you seen in their life that makes you think that? And specifically, I said, ask followers of Jesus out on a date. This would allow for clear intentions to be communicated. Don't just ask to hang. Don't text you up. Don't slide into the DMs. Right? It's specific. We want to, because remember, we're, we're talking about how to be Christ, mature Christians. So we're going to talk about that. We want to be mature Christian adults. But dating begins, dating begins, that's the question we're asking. When does dating start? Dating begins when someone asks another person and they say yes, right? Like that's, I mean, as basic as I can make it. A date begins when, like, all right, you said yes, we're going out on a date. It's happening. Okay, a couple hot takes on the subject. You ready for them? You're like, nobody asked. Um, I don't think you need to ask a person out in person. I think it's probably better to do it that way. I'm just being honest with you, and I, I, I just, I think however it's done, it should match the level of the relationship. What I mean by that, like, like if, if your relationship has stemmed from, from texting one another, then I think it's okay to say like, hey, do you, do you want to go out on a date via text? So I, and the, I think I'm, I'm saying that because I'm kind of like justifying myself because that's how I asked Hannah out on our first date. So maybe you're like, that's a lousy point. I'm like, well, maybe, but that, it worked for me. But regardless of how relationship begins, it's important that we communicate intentions. We aren't just having fun. We aren't just exploring our options. Dates should begin for a reason. I'm interested in the person. And listen to me, I'm moving towards marriage. Okay, so that, prob that statement alone probably just eliminated the, 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 the idea of dates for many of you for a long time. Just like, poof, it's gone. Concept out the window, right? Because we're move we're, it's intentional. We're moving somewhere. We're not just, we're not just, oh, we'll figure it out. We're not just having fun. We're actually going in a direction. We're moving towards marriage. I'm interested in this person, and I'm moving towards a permanent relationship with this person. My second hot take is this. I don't think you should find dates on an app. Now, I'm sure most of us are too young for that anyways, but as you get older, I want to give, like, sort of framework, <laughs> Right, Because this might apply to you one day. I, I just don't think it works well. 
I think dating should be like drinking local orange juice or eating honey from local bees. The problem with apps and social media is it expands our bubble to the globe, right? Basically, what happens is you go, rather than like meeting people in your world, like your church or your workplace or your school or whatever that looks like, rather than it being like normal in your world, it expands it to the universe. And then we tend to think that if we have more options, then it would make our decisions easier. But humanity just doesn't work like that. Like, the, the more options you have, the less decisive <laughs> you become. And so I just think it's a, it's a bad word. I know that doesn't really apply to us. I'm just making that statement. Because I'm a strong believer that being in the right place will lead you to the right people, and the right people will lead you to the right person. So that means be in the right place. Be in the right place. Well, what does that look like? Well, that means... Like, commit your life to following Jesus. If you follow Jesus and you follow the doors that he opens for you, you will find yourself in the right place. It won't always be the easiest place, right? It might be difficult and challenging and confusing, but if you follow Jesus, he will lead you to the right place. The right place will oftentimes lead you to the right people, and the right people will probably lead you to the right person. Amen? Amen. Okay. Second thing, how should a date start? My first is a follower of Jesus should ask another follower of Jesus out on a date. That was my point. The second thing is this, maybe it shouldn't. How should it start? Well, maybe it shouldn't. Maybe it shouldn't. A few reasons why a date shouldn't ever begin. Number one, the timing isn't right. Timing isn't right. The Bible says not to awaken love before it's time. The idea is that we shouldn't rush into something or stir something up that shouldn't be there. So for some of you, especially like probably middle school, ninth grade, probably 10th, 11th grade guys, <laughs> no offense, um, like it's probably not quite time yet. And we, we, so it's, it's, an, it's, we need to make sure, so I'm like, well, I'll just spit it out, man. Um, we want to make sure we don't awaken something that shouldn't be woken up yet. And that can happen through inappropriate texting, right? You can stir something in you or in them that shouldn't be stirred because you're saying things over text that you absolutely have no business saying over text. And you would never say that if you were looking at them face to face. So right, inappropriate texting, being physical, lusting in your mind, or trying to force something because you feel like everyone else is dating and I don't wanna be single and alone forever. And so we're forcing something. Do you know that the average American doesn't get married until they're 30? So you have plenty of time. That's the point I'm trying to make. Plenty of time. So maybe the timing isn't right. Uh, secondly, maybe it shouldn't. Maybe the date shouldn't happen because their characteristics are wrong. A lot of people talk about the one, right? Like especially in, like, I need to find the one or their soulmate. That doesn't exist. Okay, the one soulmate, it doesn't exist. 
There is no per- one perfect person out there for you. And like, good luck, there's like 8 billion people on the planet. Like, may the odds ever be in your favor. It just, it's not how it works. But listen to me, there is a group of Christians and these Christians are allowing Christ to be formed in them and this is where you should be looking. If they aren't a Christian, they aren't allowing the characteristics of Christ to be formed in them, then a date should never start. Often dating is too complicated because you began a relationship with someone you shouldn't have started a relationship with. So what are their characteristics? And I'm not saying personality. I'm not saying interests or hobbies. I'm saying are the things of Christ being formed in their life? Are the fruit of the Spirit evidenced in their life? Are they pursuing Jesus? Are they abiding in Christ? And as a result, are these characteristics being evidenced in their life? That is something you should look for. Where are they abiding? Where are they, where are they uh, allowing themselves to be for? What are they allowing themselves to be formed by? Okay, so maybe their characteristics are right. And then the third thing is you're not ready. <laughs> Dating or marriage, it isn't for everyone. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it's better to not get married. And there's not like a, like a clause after that. Unless you're blah, 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 blah. He says he thinks it's better to not get married. The goal of any and all relationships is to have community with others and allow them to help you shape you into the person that God wants you to be and for you to help shape them into the person God wants them to be. The Bible talks about as iron sharpens iron. The idea is that we're supposed to rub off on each other in a way that allows for us to grow in our relationship with God. And God uses healthy and even uh, uh, unhealthy relationships to do that. What I mean by that is God will use people in your life that are something, that, somebody that you could look up to and say, I want to become more like that. Right? I'm sure we have people in our life that we think about. And then we should also, listen to me, we should also have relationships that we look at and say, I want a relationship like that one. Right? Like they get along, they love each other, they're putting each other first. They're, like that is something, because I think a lot of us want the like happily ever after. Right? We want the like, man, they've been together for a long period of time and everything's great. But then we start in a, like, we just start with the wrong person. And so it's important that we, we have, okay, what does that look like? And then how do they look like as individuals? Does that make sense? So we need to make sure that God, or we recognize that God uses healthy relationships to help us. But then also unhealthy. I think they're in the same way. There's people that we should go, okay, I don't want to be like that, right? Like, I don't want that marriage. I don't want that relationship. I don't want that personality, right? I don't want to be like that. And so God uses those things to help shape us and grow us. And listen, sometimes relationships aren't working out or shouldn't be happening because God wants to work in your life as an individual. Everything that God does is so that you personally would learn to love him and follow him. And we get too dependent upon other people and their relationship with God for our own relationship with God. So maybe it shouldn't start because you're not ready. Because God wants to do a work in you. And we need to allow that work to happen in our lives. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to close. My one thought tonight, and I think we should take this home, is, is how should a, practically, how should a date begin? 
right? Maybe you're in the space where you're like, I, I, I like this person, and like I'm getting older, and, and, and I'm figuring it out. Now, we'll talk more practically, because I think that there is, as the series goes on, well, this isn't the only message of the series. Does that make sense? We'll talk more practically. I just don't, I kind of want to pop the, the like Valentine's Day balloon a little bit and just be like, it doesn't have to be our, our primary focus. Right? Like that's kind of the, like, it doesn't have to be everything that we think about. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like life is bigger than who you're going out with. Like, your, your life has so much value. God wants to do something great in your life. And, and oftentimes, what can stunt and what can hurt both the growth and the call of God in our life is a, is a bad relationship or a bad-timed relationship. And so we want to make sure that we're doing things right. But maybe you're in that space, okay? And I'm not trying to dismiss. Maybe you're in that space. How should it start? Well, you should follow Jesus, and they should follow Jesus, Right? And then, guys, you should see girls as valuable and as their affection, their interest, their, their attention towards you should be something pursued and won. Do you know, it took me about six months of like borderline stalking Hannah before she ever started responding to my texts, okay? Like literally six months where I, I tried everything and she would every once in a while give me like a response. Ready, wanna hear what, what eventually got, got her? Okay, so she posted on her Facebook. This was back in the day, Facebook. She posted on her Facebook, she was in college and she said, someone please send me Starbucks so I don't fall asleep in class. I'm in Florida, she lives in California. I went to Starbucks, I got her a gift card. I wrote on the card, don't fall asleep in class. Mailed it across the country to her mailbox. She opened it up and, and she was like, her dad literally who was here last week said, yep, that was the moment new. She, he, he knew, she's gone. But that was after months and months of me trying to get her attention. And then I, I took a leap. I was pretty clever, not gonna lie. Sent it to her and then the rest is history. Um, so what I'm saying is, is it's, sometimes it's, it shouldn't be, it should be something pursued and won, right? And you see their affection. You see women as valuable. It's not just, okay, I just want somebody to respond to me. That's not the goal, right? The goal is not just, oh, I feel lonely and I like having someone I can constantly talk to. That's not the goal, right? It's to see somebody as valuable. Their affection won or pursued and won. And then girls, let me encourage you. You should see yourself as valuable. You should see yourself the way that your heavenly father sees you, right? He loves you. He, he's, he's knit you together. He formed you. He created you uniquely. You should see yourself as valuable. And your affection, who you give your affection to, your attention to, your time to, all of that, who you give your affection to should be one, and then it should be given, does that make sense? I'm saying don't just, if it's not like me in elementary school where all of a sudden I didn't know that person's name, but she likes me. Okay, I like you back. That's not the goal, right? We want to see ourselves 
You want to see yourself the way your heavenly father does so that you can find a relationship that allows you to grow and be shaped and formed into the person that God wants you to become.